Okay, welcome everybody. Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, Acts of the Apostles, part 13, but we'll be in Acts chapter 15 and probably um, might review a little bit of Paul's letter to the Galatians. I'll say a little bit more about that in a second. So let's just begin in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you again for this time of study. We thank you, Lord, that again you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our heart to receive what it is that you have for us, Lord. I thank you for those that are here uh, live as we record this, and those that are uh, listening via podcast, Lord, we thank you that your spirit is here to uh, guide us through this study. So uh, again, we just thank you for it, and we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Just as a kind of a, a recap, we've been in Acts. Now, Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. It covers the first 35 years or so of the church. So after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, then when the church age starts, which is in Acts chapter 2, then these events occur. Last week, the last couple of weeks, we talked about Paul's first missionary journey uh, that he took. And where we're going to be today in Acts chapter 15, we're going to be talking about the report that he gave uh, concerning what happened during that first missionary journey. He does three missionary journeys. But what I also want to point out while we're doing this is that this is a time where he's writing his letters. So we will probably go into Galatians a little bit because some of the stuff that he reports on here, a letter is going to be written... Uh, to the churches in that area and then later he's going to actually write the letter to the Galatians and we're going to find out why and so when when we go to Galatians and we read some stuff you'll understand why he's saying what he's saying so we're right here in the timeline it's about the year 50 right here, the church is about 15 years old roughly 14-15 years old and uh, uh, he's finished his first missionary journey and he's back in Jerusalem before the uh, church council. So, Acts chapter 15, verse 1 to 5. It says, And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had, and when Paul and Barnabas had great dis- dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren." And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees, these are Jewish people, who had believed, they converted to Christianity, stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So what's happening is, after his first missionary journey, when he comes back after visiting these churches, and remember, 
the Bible and everything up until the time of Jesus is everything is pretty much Jewish and is dealing with Jewish people. Gentiles means others, those that are not uh, Jews. And so, you know, Scripture says to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. So they preached to the Jews, the Jews got saved, some got saved, and then it was off to the Gentiles, which is everybody else that's not Jewish. And so uh, you have down here, here's Jerusalem, this is Israel down, down here. And uh, so this is where it first starts, the second church is up here. Uh, and, and they're house churches, they're, they're, they're not buildings, because uh, Christianity is not an official religion, so they can't buy and sell land and build buildings, so they're meeting in homes and stuff. So they go off on this missionary journey, and what's happening now is the Jews who are being converted, who had the Old Testament, and they refer to it as the law, meaning the law of Moses, and all the commandments and things there, they're saying, in order to become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. That's why they're saying circumcision, because that's a, that was a custom that the males had to go through. And so basically they're now bringing a new doctrine in there, but the church is so new that some people don't know that that's, whether that's new or that's, or that's standard, because for, for the Pharisees there that said they were converted, they had lived their lives as Jews, then they became Christians. So they're thinking, and I don't fault them for it, well, if I had to do this, you guys got to do it. You know, that's, that's the prevailing thinking. And so now there's this great discussion going on about is this really the way you get saved? Okay? And this is important for Christianity because what's going to happen here is, and this is why the book of Acts is important, because it hammers out the doctrine statements of what it means to be a Christian. The non-negotiables. You know, whether you stand up or sit down in church or raise your hand where you're, you're singing or you don't open your mouth, that's all negotiable. That's up to you, however you want to do that. But to be a, a professing Christian, there are certain non-negotiables. Okay, and so we're going to look at one of those tonight. So, any thoughts, questions on that? We'll go anytime. Just stop me. Not a problem. Um, verse six. It says, "And the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter." Now, that gives us a good indication of what should a church do if we're not sure about teaching or something. The elders get together and the apostles, the leaders of the church, and sit down and, and look at it and say, is, is this, you know, something we should be doing? Verse 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days, <laughs> the early days, you know, in the early days, God made a choice among you that by mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So Peter is saying, remember, God said it, at some point the Gentiles were going to come into this. This is Old Testament scripture. Uh, verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. So in other words, what he's saying is that in Acts chapter 2, when the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost, when they first believed and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, uh, then later on when the Gentiles got saved, the Holy Spirit did the same thing. That's why we talk about when you are born again Christian, God is now on the inside of you. God now 
comes down and feels you. That's that's where's the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. That's what rejuvenates you. That's what changes you from death to life. It's the fact that the Spirit of God is now on the inside of us, and that's how God is revealing Himself in this day and age. Uh, verse 9 and he made no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts now here's the key by faith in other words he cleansed their hearts by faith so in other words the gospel is I'm a sinner I know I'm a sinner my sin has separated me from God therefore I'm going to acknowledge that sin I am going to ask God to forgive me I am going to repent which means turn away from that sin I am now going to believe by faith that God so loved the world he sent his only begotten son to die, pay the price on the cross for my sins. If I believe that by faith, because it's by faith, we're not there. We haven't seen Jesus. It's by faith, and it's by trusting in in the word of God. By faith, the result is salvation. So verse 10, it says, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we had been able to bear. What he's saying is is that the law, you know, there's you know, people talk about ten commandments. In the Old Testament there was six hundred and thirteen commandments and you, you can't keep them. It's, it's, it's totally it's impossible. You cannot keep those commandments. But the commandments are there to show us how we've fallen short of the glory of God, of God's standard. That's why the need for a savior is there. He says, he says, you know, that, that yoke, and a yoke is what uh, horses, or more importantly, a beast of burden, uh, you know, you're plowing a field and you've, you've got two mules there or something, that thing that holds them together, that's the, that's the yoke. And he's saying, you know, you didn't have to carry that yoke. You weren't yoked to that, you know, because you, you, you couldn't have done it. You would have been able to bear it. And then verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace, here's another important part, through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are also. So in other words, Peter gets up and he says, the same way you were, you were saved, by faith and by grace, so are they saved. Now, this becomes one of the five solas. Sola means alone. And these are doctrine statements. Number one, you're saved by faith alone. In other words, I'm extending faith into what God has said. Then I'm saved by grace alone. In other words, grace comes from God alone. I don't work my way to it. Good things don't get me there. It's extended to me. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son to die. This is grace, extended to me. And if I'm willing to confess, I now receive that grace. So grace is God's unmerited favor. I don't deserve it, but he gave it. So we're saved by faith alone. We're saved by grace alone. Then the other, the other, uh, the other ones are, we're saved by scripture alone. Only Scripture alone can guide us to the truth. Nothing outside of the Bible. Scripture alone. Okay. Uh, Then there is Christ alone. You are saved only through Christ. He paid the price on the cross. No other way, no other person through Christ alone. 
And then the last sola is glory to God alone, because God is who initiated all of this. Those are the solas. And, uh, but right here you get two of them. They're doctrine statements. They are, they are what we believe. We are saved right here. We are saved by faith. We are saved by grace. Okay. Uh, and again, faith is extended. And when faith is extended, then grace is extended to us. We receive grace. Okay. Questions on that? We good? Those are, those are our main, main points in Christianity. If you don't believe those, it's not Christianity. Non-negotiable. Okay. Verse 13. No, 12, I'm sorry. And all the multitude kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul. Remember, they were the ones who went on the missionary journey. As they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So in other words, Barnabas and Paul, after their missionary journey, they came back and they said, Man, this is all the things God did. And, you know, he healed this guy and he did this and he did that. And people got saved. So he's relating that to the home church in Jerusalem. Now verse 13. And after they had been, they had stopped speaking James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Now, James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he's also the half-brother of Jesus. He's also the same James that wrote the epistle, James, which was the first letter to the church. And that letter at this time is, is being written and is being passed around. And it's about faith. Uh, so James is a leader of that church. You say, okay, how did you get that from all of that right here? Well, I didn't get it from all of this right here. You get it throughout Scripture. It's in there. Different things are placed in there. That's how we come to these things. It's not. I'm, I'm not stretching it by saying, oh, James, well, that must have been this guy. Yeah, yeah. There's other Scriptures. There's other reference to that. So for just uh, um, continuity, I'm just throwing it in there. So you know who this James is. Because there's several James in the Bible. This particular one is a leader of the church in Jerusalem. Verse 14. Simeon had related how God first concerned himself. He's talking about Peter. Remember, and he uses Simeon, which is a more more, more Jewish term than Simon. Because remember, his name was Simon. Uh, uh, they called him Simon, they called him Peter. Usually you, you had two names. You had a Greek name and you had a Jewish name. You, you had a Jewish name because you were of Jewish heritage. You had a Greek name because your education was in the Greek system. That's why they had the two two things like that. But here, he as a Jew, he stands up and, and he uses the proper form of, of Peter's Jewish name. And Simeon had related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles the people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now where it says, just as it is written, in your Bibles it should... Um, the type should be different. Whenever you have that, when the type is different, you know, it's a quote, or it'll be a song, or something... Like, that's narrative, here he's quoted. Yeah. Like that. So that's the difference in that. 
So that's just a literary thing that they do. Most Bibles have that. Uh, so now he's going to be quoting scripture. And the scripture he's quoting is Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. I'm not going to go to it, but this is what he's quoting. Uh, verse 16. He says, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. This is, this is the uh, 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 original kingship of, of, uh, of Israel. Jesus Christ is our king. And it's a tabernacle where we are to praise God. It says, I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it, in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Notice, the rest of mankind, or your translations might say it a little bit differently, but what it's talking about, it's talking about the Gentiles. That the rest may now come to God. Uh, rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Again, Gentiles just means others that aren't Jewish says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. So in other words, he's preaching in the New Testament something God said in the Old Testament, pointing forwards. That's why I say, if this is the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and, and so forth, all of it is pointing towards the cross. It's pointing towards Christ and what he's done. Now, the New Testament, as it's written, the Gospels, Acts, and the letters, is now the church and Paul and Peter and James taking the Old Testament and just bringing it through the cross and saying, now this is what this means, the fulfillment, now that Jesus has come. That's what that is. So sometimes people want to separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. In the beginning, it was not called Old and New Testament. It was just Bible. It was Hebrew Bible. By the way, Bible means book. It's just very simple. The editors somewhere along the way decided to, to do Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, it really should be called the Hebrew Bible and the, uh, uh, the New Covenant really is what it should be. Let's see. Verse 19. Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. So in other words, James says, let's don't trouble these Gentiles that are coming. Don't don't put this yoke on them that, hey, now you've got to go back and you've got to become a Jew. You've got to go through all this stuff. Because remember, you don't come to Christ because of what you do. You come to Christ because of what you believe, what you confess. Right? You can't work your way to heaven. You know, sometimes people want to say that, oh, well, there's many roads that lead to God and, uh, and you can do this and do that. Mm. Picking up stray animals, helping people walk across the street are good things, but they do not translate and get you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is acknowledgement of sin and the need for a Savior and the confession thereof as Jesus. So faith alone, grace alone. Verse 20, But that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and fornication and that which is strangled from the blood. For Moses from ancient generations in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Talking about Moses, the law of Moses, which is basically the first five books of the Bible, that all the other books in the Bible are based upon, do not contradict. So what James is saying is, from Jerusalem, after he gets the report, that some people are telling him, no, you got to become Jews first, he says, look, let's write them a letter. You know, let's explain all this. 
you know, and because sometimes we wonder, well, where did the church letters come from, or why were letters needed? Because it was a problem, and they were official ways of addressing the problem. And so he says, we're going to write this letter to the church so they will understand what's going on. And he says, and while we're writing it, let's remind them of what the law says or what Moses says. Because, again, you don't throw away the Old Testament because that's the moral code is in there. Social laws are in there. Government is in there. So you don't throw that away. You're not going to throw that stuff away, you know. Um, so, uh, So that's wisdom on James' part. Because he's the leader of, of the church in, in, in Jerusalem. And he says, okay, we've got a problem. Let's do this. We've debated this out. It's faith alone. It's grace alone. Uh, let's tell them they don't have to become Jewish uh, to become Christian. Then that's where we're at in this particular thing. Thoughts, questions? Kind of straightforward? Make sense? Okay, again, don't, don't hesitate to stop me. Um, verse 22. This is the letter that's sent. Now, this isn't the letter that Paul writes to Galatians. This is the first letter, and you say, well, where is that letter? We're going to read it right now. It's in Scripture. Verse 22. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called uh, Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter to them. Now we're going to read the letter that was sent to them at that time. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria, uh, Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles, greetings. So who's he, who's he sending it to? To these places in Antioch, Syria, Sicilia. And who is he writing to? Gentiles. Okay. Since we have heard, verse 24, that some of our number of whom we gave no instructions, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. In other words, we didn't send them. These guys did this on their own. Verse 25, It seems good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember when we're reading about their first missionary trip, the troubles they had, and, you know, Paul got stoned. Not stoned, stoned, he got rocks stoned. Okay. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same thing by words of mouth. In other words, we're going to send Judas and, and, uh, and, and Silas, and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to verbally tell you you know, they're, they're, going to, they're going to help instruct you in all of this. And by the way, Judas is a common name as well. We, we, know, we know of Judas Iscariot who betrayed Christ. But Judas is a, is a common uh, Jewish name back then. Verse 28, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So in other words, who's directing this letter? God is, the Holy Spirit. So what is an official letter? Uh, that's going to be accepted, something that is deemed from the Holy Spirit, which is God, right? Uh, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and things strangled from 
and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. Boom. That's the letter. Short and sweet. Okay. But what was going to happen, there was going to be a follow-up with now the elders and the teachers, you know, apostles were going to go and say, okay, here's the letter, and then he's going to kind of do what we're doing here. Explain the letter. This is what it means. This is how you appropriate it. This is how you use it. Uh, this this is what it means. Uh, so, thoughts, concerns, questions? Renat, good? Ooh, we're good on time. Um, so now verse 30. So when they went there, when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, which I always think is funny because you're not going down to Antioch, you're going up. <laughs> but what it really means is you're on a journey. It's just translated down, but you're going up to Antioch. Which is actually uh, just in uh, Lebanon. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. See, these letters should do what? We should rejoice, we should be encouraged, because the letters, the epistles that are in the, in the New Testament are responding to a problem in the church, and they're applying a correction. Okay, because again, you have an early church that's spreading, and it's spreading quickly, and so if you don't have people that know what they're teaching and know what sound doctrine is, then these churches will start doing who knows what. So you have to have strong theological uh, content. That, that's why I say, when I give a sermon or I know a Bible study, I'm just doing theology. I'm just saying, this is who God is, this is what God is doing, and where are we in relation to what God is doing. That's basically what theology is. Uh, let's see, verse 32. And Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. By the way, prophet does not mean God told me to tell you something that you don't know. A prophet always repeats what God says. If you look at the Old Testament prophets, they always said, if you don't do what you said you were going to do, and God's going to do what he said he was going to do, if you don't obey what he said to do, he's going to take you off the land, he's going to strike you down, he's going to do these things. And that's what a prophet does. prophet is thus saith the Lord. So, someone that quotes scripture, technically, in this definition here, is a prophet. You're not, you're not a prophet in your own coming up with something nobody has, has not heard before you are now repeating what God said and applying it in the proper context. It's a prophet. That's what a, that's what a biblical prophet is. That, that gets really twisted and goofy on the fringe of Christianity. So, verse 33. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others, also the word of the Lord. So, after his first missionary journey, he comes back, he was giving a report of what happened, now they're finding out about this thing, they're saying you've got to become a Jew first, they're addressing that, they said, the way we're going to handle it, 
we're going to write her a letter, we're going to send elders out there, we're going to go to these churches, we're going to make sure everybody gets it. And the first one that they send it to, Antioch, the people rejoiced. They said, we got it, it's good. And they stayed there teaching them. Sound doctrine is extremely, extremely important in the church. And if we're not, if we don't have, hold our pastors and teachers and leaders and elders and, and accountable to sound theology, uh, then all of these people did all this work for nothing. You know, that's, you know, that's why you have to, that's why Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor, needing not to be ashamed, but being a workman unto God, rightly dividing the word of God. If there's a right way to divide it, there's a wrong way to divide it. So in other words, this is who God is, this is what God's doing, and this is the application individually and corporately. You still good? Question? Okay. Verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we will proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. He says, hey man, let's go back. Let's go check them out. Let's go see how they're doing. You know? And, And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, also called Mark, along with them also. Remember, Mark went with them partially on the first missionary journey. And this is Mark, who's the author of the Gospel of Mark, who was a young boy at that time. He went as far as here, and then he went home. We're not exactly sure why he went home, uh, but he didn't continue on in this journey. He he was a young guy. He could have got homesick. Happens, right? And uh, uh, But notice what happens. Verse 37, And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. So Paul takes it, a little bit harder. He takes a little harder. He says, "He says this kid deserted us. He didn't do the work. He didn't want to." So, kind of here we get kind of a picture of Paul's personality. We're going to go. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to whatever. And I ain't got time to do diapers, right? We're going to. We're marching through. We're going to do this. And you know, later on he changes with Timothy, and we're going to get to that in a, in a week or two. He he mellows out a little bit. But it doesn't mean Mark was not uh, uh, useful in, in, in God used him. Again, he wrote the gospel according to Mark. Verse 39. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So he says, all right, they're going at it back and forth, and it's a heated, it's a heated debate. And, and they said, okay, we're going to agree to disagree. You take the kid, and I'll go on to those other churches, right? And so Paul's going to, basically what Paul's going to do is, second missionary journey. Uh, he's going to travel by land. Whereas Barnabas and, uh, and, uh, and Mark go to Cyprus right here. You know, took the yacht. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's an easy thing. By the way, these, these waters can get pretty rough. 
But he did his second missionary journey, which starts as we're reading right here, and we're going to pick up next week. The next few weeks is going to go here, all the way up through here, and it's going to hit you know a lot of places. Uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, the Bereans are over here, Corinth's here, uh, Ephesus. He's going to be going through all those things before he comes back. Much longer missionary journey. But he's going to be writing uh, Galatians as he's on his way there because he's got on his mind uh, the Galatians, what, what happened uh, with the Judaizers who were coming in and trying to, uh, to push him off to, to, to make people become Jews first. Uh, 40. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and, and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So now he's talking about he's now Cilicia. He's on his way. And what is he doing? Stopping where there's believers. And he's... Paul is the theologian of the, of the New Testament. He's the one that makes sure his doctrine is right. He's the one. He's, with some of the churches, he stays on for a few weeks. Uh, some of them, he'll stay there six months, eight months. You know, there's one, church, I think it's third missionary journey, he stays 18 months. But uh, he's the one who, as an Old Testament scholar, who he was, was best suited uh, to explain the scriptures to the church and how the scriptures apply to the church. And so I'm going to hold it there. Next week we're going to get into... I'm going, to, I'm going to read Galatians right now. But next week we're going to get into the journey up over here. So if you're reading ahead, this is where we're at in the second missionary journey. Now, I'm going to read some, some lines out of Galatians. And as I read this, think of what we just learned. Telling them they have to become Jews first. Uh, you know, it's not by faith, it's being a Jew first, and then being a Christian. So now when you read Galatians, and I hope you do when you go home, now it's going to put it in the, in, the, in the frame, in the context of why it was written. Okay, so here's Galatians. I'm just going to pick some verses out, out here. Uh, Paul, chapter 1, Galatians. Paul's epistle, or epistle means letter to the Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. That's a doctrine statement. Raised from the dead. Okay? And also, he's saying that uh, Christ has sent him. That's, that's why we say a lot of times we're called to the cross, salvation, and then we're sent from the cross. God calls us, and then he sends us. Verse 2, and all the churches who are with me to the churches, oh no, all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, doctrine statement, paid the price for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present age of evil according to the will of God. And Father, in other words, the will of Almighty God that we be redeemed, that we come out of this 
sin. Again, parallel verse, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Now, notice this part right here. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace, remember, say by grace of Christ, for a different gospel. What's the different gospel? That you have to be a Jew first. See? He's addressing it here. See, when you, when you read the epistles, they're answers to questions and problems that if you don't know the problem, the question's not going to make as much sense to you. Part of it will, but once you know the problem, then the answer is going to make much more sense. And so he says, you know, he says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See what it does? It distorts it. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like, and this is probably a bad illustration, but it's kind of like if I were to do an outline of my hand, that's not a very good representation of my hand. That's a distortion. My granddad is laughing back there. That's a distortion. But you can say, yeah, but it still looks like a hand. But it's not this hand. What we want every Sunday and every time we pick up our Bible and whatever it is, we want, not my hand, but we want the hand of God. We don't want a distortion. Because what does this do? It blows it up. It changes it. It looks different. And then you start adding fingernails and a ring and it comes up. Kinds of other stuff. So it's, it's a distortion. Verse 8. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other words, even if you think it's an angel from heaven and they're preaching a different gospel, don't accept it. And this is the problem in the church today. That if we don't know what the real hand looks like, and someone shows us this hand, and we'll say, okay, yeah, amen. You don't want to say amen to this. You want to say amen to this. And not my hand, God's hand. And so this is what's going on. Unfortunately, we say amen to this, and then what happens to this is then this can now be distorted to that, erasing this, And now it's starting to look less and less like a hand because it's being distorted. And then what happens if you add something else to it? That's what distortion does. And that's what he's saying here. Verse 9. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you receive, let him be accursed. In other words, cursed. Uh, let's see. Verse 10. For, I am, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In other words, as a Christian, we do not serve men people, we're not getting their favor. The favor that we get who we serve is God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit. 
This is why in the context of church, let me take a quick rabbit, if you read my little statement on why the church is open now, I use part of this argument that we're following God, not the edits of man. You know, we can look at it, appraise it, is it necessary, but at some point you have to say, what side am I going to fall on? If this side now is not doing what they said it was going to do, you have to come back and, and fall in line with Scripture. So that's part of the argument there. Verse 11, for I have... For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me was not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he goes on to his former life and how you know he was, he was doing things. Uh, by the way, when you read that, you get another picture of Paul's conversion. Uh, uh, in, in not just in in Acts chapter 9 and in Acts chapter 22 and 24, you get another another version of it there. Uh, and then he just kind of goes into his little story, Acts chapter 2. He's talking about his, his, his missionary journey. Uh, but here's chapter 2, verse 11. He's talking about all things he did in his first missionary journey and, and who he is. And remember, he's building a case telling them, you do not have to become a Jew first to become a Christian. Verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. He says, but when Cephas, this is this is uh, Peter. Well, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why did he oppose him? Because he was saying, you have to do things as a Jew would do them. He wasn't as far going as far as saying you have to become a Jew to become a Christian, but he was only eating with Jews. He wasn't eating with Gentiles. Uh, he was uh, uh, saying you have to keep all the all the laws, all the sanitary laws, all the different things like that. And Paul got in his face. Verse twelve. For prior to the coming of certain men from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles, but then they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. In other words, when he first got that vision that it was okay for the Gentiles to be saved, he was with them, but then when some of the Jewish believers came up, he folded, and now he, he stopped. He was trying to please the Jewish believers who were saying, you know, you gotta be a Jew. You know, don't forget, don't forget who you are. You're a Jew. You're a Jew first. Okay. Verse thirteen, and the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. He calls it hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Him and Barnabas again. It says a little bit of it in, in Acts, but you get a little bit more of it in here. Him and Barnabas had a discussion about it. You know about how this is supposed to go down. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, and by the way, whenever you see, you don't have to do it, this is from the book of Steve, but I would say when you're reading your Bible, wherever you see the word gospel, underline it. Because eventually you're going to find gospel throughout your Bible, the New Testament, and my point with this is, we are supposed to be preaching the gospel. That's what we're called to do. 
the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And the gospel is sinners separated from God need to repent, need to believe, confess Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our message. Uh, let's see. Verse 14 again. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is why he calls them a hypocrite. He says you're, you're twisting. You know, if you really look at this, this is strong language. He says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. In other words, we are not justified. We are not made in right standing with God because we do good things. This is what justification means here. By the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, faith alone. Doctrine statement. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In other words, we are not justified by saying, I did all these good things, let me into heaven. It's not going to work. Confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, based upon the confession and acknowledgement that I am a sinner, my sin has separated me from God, and I must repent. Uh, then he goes on verse 3 chapter 3 I preached this couple couple months ago I think chapter 3 now notice what he says to the Galatians you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit, in other words, the Spirit of God on the inside of you, by the works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Okay? Faith alone. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by faith? Or by hearing, by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God in the Scripture alone. So you see right here, just in the beginning part of this, and what he does in the, in the rest of it, he just builds a stronger theological case for what he just said. He, he, and I encourage you to read it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an easy read, but understand it in the fact that a false, different gospel was coming into the church, and he's going to supply a correction. And he starts out easy, but then you know he gets when he starts with this, you foolish Galatians. Now he's turning the heat up. You know, you, you foolish Galatians, as you as you as you translate it from the original Greek, it, it, it's not really translated. You foolish Galatians! It's like it's it's almost like idiots. Have you lost your mind? <laughs> really, that's what it is. You know, idiots. Have you lost your mind? But it's, it's not translated in English like that. But that's in the context of it. Uh, you know, and it goes on. You know, the redeemed from the curse of the law and stuff like that. And uh, uh, again, you can read it for yourself. Or if you have any questions on Galatians, but does that make sense? 
because uh, again, this is why the Acts of the Apostles is so important because it shows us where they went. Uh, by the way, this is present-day Turkey, and this is Greece right there. Right this is Macedonia, but this is Greece. This is Turkey. Italy is right over here, and then Spain is up over there in Europe. That will all be later. But in the book of Acts, this is the only area that we're going to be looking at because the uh, third missionary journey, which we're going to get to later, you know, he goes up and he goes, up, he goes back into these places and ministers to them again. And then the last journey that he takes is this one to Rome. Here, and this is where he's on trial. And now you can, you can better see where it really is. It's Turkey, Greece, Italy, Sicily. This is, how do say, Egypt, Northern Africa. Over there. Syria, Iran, and Iraq are over here. Over here. <clears throat> so, um, by the way, today when you hear about the Eastern Church, you ever hear about the Eastern Church? Mm-hmm. You know, the Eastern, Eastern Church? That's basically right here. They're in here. And they, uh, they broke away from the rest of the church. Because at one point in time, uh, once Italy... Uh, Rome became the center of Christianity. Uh, then they started trying to tell everybody what to do. And they said, you're not telling us what to do. And basically around the year 900, they split away and became the Eastern Orthodox Church. And uh, this becomes the rest of Christianity. Um, that's about the year 900. And uh, so that's a whole other story. So anyway, thoughts, questions? Yes, we don't have time. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering, are you acquainted with the Messianic Church? Where do they stand, like, from this point of view? Messianic Church, not all, because we haven't been to all. I haven't been to all. But what a Messianic Church is, if you go into a, a real Messianic Church, they're Christian but they worship and practice like Jews do. More, more like Hasidic or Orthodox Jews. Hasidic Jews are the ones with the curls and the hats and the, and the coats. They act more like them. Uh, the, the problem there is it can be very legalistic because it goes to the law many times more than it goes to grace. And that's the danger there. So, <clears throat> if you're in a messianic church, I love the music. Love the music. I, I, I love the music. And uh, uh, but when you get down to the teaching, and I'm, I'm not saying all. I'm not. I'm not saying that. The problem is, and to answer your question, is that messianic churches tend to be on the legalistic side. So, therefore, the five solas I told you aren't as important as the law. Now, now we're off. So that's where, if if Paul were alive, Paul would be writing a letter, yes. and he would show up and say, "Hey, you foolish Messianic Jews, right?" But again, not all, because I can't speak for all of them. And the way it started, as I understand it, 
since the, the early church, people don't realize this because a lot of people say, well, it was the Jews that killed Jesus. Well, yeah, but the early church was also Jewish, you know, and uh, uh, it was very Jewish. So the more it went up into Europe, it became less Jewish. So people that wanted to worship as they did originally uh, started doing things that they used to do in the temple and doing it like temple worship and that, and that kind of stuff. And nothing wrong with that because, again, worship is, is, is negotiable. You know, how you, you sing, as long as the songs you're singing aren't demonic or anything, that's, that's a whole nother, whole nother issue. But when it comes down now to doctrine, that's where we have we have the problem. And again, Christianity is just so you have to realize the Bible is not telling the story of redemption. So he's telling a story and telling the story Genesis, Exodus, you know the foundational things this is going to be a tree <laughs> and there's roots going down under the, under the ground and as the tree grows the outgrowth of that tree you know what happens eventually it gets flowers and it gets fruit on it whatever that fruit might be the church is supposed to be the fruit of what? of the vine and the vine is what? The Old Testament scriptures. And we're grafted into what? The vine. That's what he says in Romans. We're grafted into this. And so, in other words, what God said from the very beginning, from let there be light, Christianity is a part of. So what is used to be Judaism, now is supposed to blossom into what is Christianity. So Christianity doesn't start over here. It starts right here because we're grafted into the vine. And, and Paul makes a, a beautiful uh, discourse on that in Romans. And he talks about how God has grafted us in. And talks about how we're no longer uh, orphans. You know, we're now heirs according to the promise. What's the promise? Uh, Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will make you a great nation. So we're just an outgrowth of that. Sometimes people want to teach... Well, that's all done away with. They killed Jesus. It's over. And now it's time for the church. That's not theological. That's not theological at all. So going back to your messianic question is, the way they did things here, sometimes they wanted to continue that. It's very expressive. Very, very expressive. And, and it's fine. It's just sometimes it, it, it can be emotional. But emotion is fine as long as there's theology behind it. So that's why what's a good study, and we've done it, it's been a couple of years since I did it, was a study of church history of where all these groups came from. Where did Southern Baptists come from? Where did Pentecostals come from? Where did, where did, where did uh, uh, Catholicism come from? Where did, where, where did Presbyterians come from? You know? There's an answer. Let's get, you don't know, Sophia? Came from Scotland. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, um, you know, it's a good study because a lot of times, you know, we wonder, okay, well, 
What's the difference between a Methodist church and a Presbyterian church and a Baptist church? And what's the difference between a Southern Baptist church and an American Baptist church and a, a, a United Baptist church and a, and a Unitarian church you don't want to go to? Uh, you know, <laughs> you got to know because a lot of times, you know, if you get if you're out of town and you want to go to church or you move to another place and you're looking for a church and you, you look and say, well, okay, it looks like it's a Christian church. They got a cross. And you go in there and then it's like, mm, these biscuits ain't like what grandma made. <laughs> this, is, this is different, you know. And it might be different only because it's, it's just a different style of worship. It could be different because it's, a, it's, it's bad doctrine. So it's important to know. But th- those kind of questions are important. Not knocking it. Not knocking it. Not, not, I, don't, I don't knock other, other, other religions. Just trying to and explain them because I was raised a Catholic, got saved in a Pentecostal church, which is about as far away as you can get from a Catholic church, and eventually uh, go into seminary and all that stuff and end up in, in Southern Baptist. So I was like a pendulum. I went over here <laughs> and then came back here. You know, good journey, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, any other questions? Yeah. We got three minutes. I mean, I can. <laughs> I got three minutes left. Okay. All right. Uh, next week, chapter sixteen, and we're going to pick this up. But again, if you ever have any questions about anything, you can email me, call me, whatever, or write them down if you're reading. So that next week, you know, you can say, "Hey, what about this?" Or if I don't hit it, make sure you you get your question answered. So this is closing prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes and our ears and our heart to receive. Lord, Father, we just ask, Lord, that our our desire is to know you. Our desire is to serve you. Uh, Lord, we love you and we thank you uh, that you saw us in our lost condition. You saw us hopeless and helpless. And because of your love, you sent your son to die on the cross and pay the price for our sins. And so, Lord, through faith and grace, Scripture and Christ, and all praise unto you, Lord God, we thank you for the gift of salvation, for there is no greater gift that can be bestowed upon humanity. And so, Lord, watch over us this week, take care of us, and uh, help us, Lord, strengthen us, encourage us, Lord, and we're quick to give you all the praise and the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. And I just want to remind you, if you're listening to the podcast, church is open on Sunday, and we are open on Wednesday for Bible study. And this Thursday, the 17th, we will have men's Bible study in church. So you're welcome to come. Amen. Thank you.